chapter 20. I, I mean, last week was great. It was Revelation chapter 19, Jesus returned. How do you get better than that? He came with his armies on white horses and defeated the Antichrist and the false prophet in the battle of Armageddon. And the Antichrist and the false prophet were cast into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, which is hell. We'll talk about that in a little while. That was last week. Next week's going to be great because that's when heaven is brought to earth. You know, tomorrow is Labor Day and you know, when heaven finally comes to earth, all things will be renewed and restored the way they should be, including our labor and our work. We're made to work. We're made to reflect God. Even our labor will be renewed and restored. That's next week. But today is Revelation chapter 20. You know, you know the, the, the question that exists throughout Scripture and exists in our own hearts how long, O oh Lord, how long? How long will you allow evil to persist? How long will you allow evil to go on? How long will you allow bullies and bullets and pain and problems and disease and death and floods and fires? How long? Well, today in chapter 20, it all comes to an end. Evil in every form is vanquished forever. Now, what I'd like to do is to walk us through chapter 20 and read all 15 verses and use some questions as an outline to guide us through this chapter. You ready to learn from Revelation chapter 20? The first question will be this, who is the devil or Satan? <laughs> Maybe we should have answered that before at the very beginning of Revelation. Yeah, C.S. Lewis, uh, he's a favorite author, and I'll quote him later, even on, uh, later on. But he said um, uh, at one point, that, that, that the, the devil is on a leash. It's a long leash, but it is a leash. Well, in chapter 20, ever since Genesis chapter 3, Satan's been around, but today he loses his leash and he loses his existence here on earth and he's dumped into hell. <laughs> we'll get to that. The next question is, why 1,000 years? That's a bit odd. Maybe you know, it's only found in Revelation chapter 20, but it's an odd thing, and it's something for us to explore and to talk about. And then, what is the great white throne, or what is the great white throne judgment? This is what Judgment Day is all about. This is not uh, Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger-type Judgment Day. This is the book of life open before Jesus Christ himself, who sits on the great white throne. The next question is, what are we to think of hell? I mean, hell shows up in jokes, and it shows up in stories, and it shows up in off-color language at times. Is it for real? Well, Jesus saw it as real, and so should we. Let's talk about that. Okay, now, to arrive at our first question, we need to read the first few verses of chapter 20, and here we go. This is John writing, of course, who receives this vision. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nation anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Now, we're going to talk about the thousand years in just a few moments. But let's answer the question, who is the devil or Satan just uh, um, uh, to summarize, he is the uh, angelic archenemy of God. He is a true spiritual, personal 
being who stands opposed to God and stands opposed to anybody who seeks to follow Christ. We typically know him as the devil or as Satan, but throughout Scripture, he has many, many different names. Here are some of them on the screen. The tempter, the wicked one, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren, the ruler of the world, the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, Lucifer, the fallen angel, the dragon, mentioned here in chapter 20, but six times and other times in the book of Revelation, and the serpent, the one who originally tempted Adam and Eve. But we typically know him as the devil or Satan. You know, the, the, the word devil comes from the Greek word diabolos, which means to throw between. It's where we get the term throw a monkey wrench into the works. Maybe it's also where we get the term the devil is in the details. <laughs> the devil is constantly trying to throw a monkey wrench into the works of God and into our lives. He attempted to throw a monkey wrench into Jesus' efforts to go to the cross. He attempts to throw a monkey wrench into your efforts and my efforts to be followers of Jesus. Now the name Satan comes from the Hebrew. Uh, Not that that matters that much, but it comes from the Hebrew and it means adversary or traitor. It was Satan who was behind Judas' betrayal of Jesus. It was Satan who was behind uh, Peter's efforts to get between Jesus and the cross. It was Satan who was uh, prompting Paul to not go into all the world or trying to create him from not going into the world to preach the gospel. And it is Satan who is behind all of the persecution that's ever existed, the persecution of Christians, which is going on today, these days, as it never has before. Pray for the dear Christians and the churches in Afghanistan who will most certainly experience persecution at the hands of the militant, uh, radical Islamic Taliban. Having said all that, as a result of Christ dying on the cross and his resurrection, Satan knew at that point his doom is sure. And so he amped up his efforts to undo the work of Christ, to, 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 to create problems for God's work in the world, to create problems for you and me. Which is why Revelation chapter 20 should be a point of celebration for all of us because he is finally, in this chapter, going away forever. Forever. But not yet. <laughs> We still have to go through something. It's this thousand-year thing that we just read about a few moments ago when Satan is thrown into the abyss or the bottomless pit. It's like a jail for evil spirits. The question is, why this 1,000 years? Let's, Let's read on and find out a little bit about it. Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. That's the martyrs, those who have given their lives for following Jesus. They had not worshipped the beast, that's the Antichrist, or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. That's the mark of the beast we've talked about over the last few weeks. They all came to life again and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. That will be the second resurrection. We'll talk about that in a few moments when we talk about the great white throne. 
Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. That is, believers, those who have died in Christ and have come to life again. For them, the second death, that is a spiritual death, holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Wow, that's a lot to take in. A thousand years. You know, many people believe it's a literal 1,000 years that Christ will reign, rule, govern here on earth. But others believe, like other numbers in the book of Revelation, it symbolizes a different length of time. And it could be much shorter than a thousand years. It could be longer. I doubt it. But, but, but nevertheless, we're, we're not entirely sure. But there will be this period of time when Christ rules on earth. What can we say about this period of time? One is that, as we just read, Satan will be locked away in this abyss for this period of time. He will not be able to do his thing. Imagine that. Satan not being allowed to do his thing. Secondly, we, we know that Christ, Jesus Christ himself will be uh, in control of the earth. He will govern the earth, rule the earth, reign the earth. And reigning with him will be those Christians who live through the tribulation time, but all preceding people who died in faith in Christ from centuries before raised up and joined with their bodies, their spirits and their souls and bodies joined together in a glorified way to reign with Christ. Who will they reign over? Well, living through the tribulation time will still be unbelievers, and they will go on to have children, and those children will go on to have children, and so the earth will still have people who reject Christ. But Jesus and his people his followers will reign over those nations and unbelievers. Lastly, we can say this, that this time, uh, however long this period of time is, Jesus will reign and rule perfectly. It will be a time of perfect justice and perfect righteousness. It will be a time of peace and joy because Jesus himself is leading the way. Now, uh, I want to ask you a question. Why? Still, we're left with the question, why? Why, why 1,000 years? What, what's the purpose? Of the, there must be a deeper reason for 1,000 years. And there is a deeper reason. But to get at that reason, we need to read a little bit more. Let's see if you can catch it. When the 1,000 years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. I'll talk about that in a moment. In every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet there they will be tormented day and night forever. A really good scholar by the name of Dr. Robert Mounts makes an observation based upon this passage, an observation about Satan and people that helps us understand why this 1,000 years and the, helps us understand the eventual judgment that will come. And, and so what he, what he says is this. Apparently, a thousand years of confinement does not alter Satan's plan, nor does a thousand years of freedom from the influence of wickedness change people's basic tendency to rebel against their creator. 
So what's Mount saying? In terms of Satan, he hasn't changed a bit. In this thousand years or however long this period of time is, he hasn't changed one bit. In fact, probably being locked up in the abyss in the bottomless pit, he's gotten as mad as a hornet. And now he's really out to get God and get God's people. And so he goes to all the four corners of the, around the globe and gathers together Gog and Magog. What in the world is that? That's a reference to the book of Ezekiel. And it symbolizes all people and nations who stand opposed to God. And so Satan gathers these people, these nations together to do battle with God. And then, in terms of the people, this is interesting. You know, after this lengthy period of time when Jesus himself is reigning over the earth, and people would, you would think people would say, wow, how just and fair and kind Jesus is. There is still a large group of people, nations of people, who stand opposed to God, who stand opposed to Jesus, who are hardened rebels against Christ himself. And so Satan and his army, they do battle with God, but it's not a very long battle. What we just read is that God sends a fire from heaven and this army is disintegrated. I mean, it's, just, it's vaporized. It's, it's like a thunder strike. And so no one's left of Satan's army except Satan himself. And so now God deals with the instigator, the devil. And what he does with the devil is what he did with the Antichrist and the false prophet. He throws him into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, which is hell. Now, what comes to mind when I hear that, do you remember the Wizard of Oz? Some of you are old enough to remember the Wizard of Oz, right? What's that song the munchkins sing? Ding dong, the witch is dead, the witch is dead, the witch is dead. Ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. I I think about that. Nobody sang along with me. Anyways, that's okay. But, 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 But in this case, Satan is not dead. He is alive, and he is placed in hell to suffer forever, a very fitting end for one who has caused such suffering down through the ages. So, justice, justice is given. But God is not done with justice, giving justice. We need, we need to read on. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from the presence, but they found no place to hide. These are all metaphors. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. Remember the term book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. What in the world is the great white throne? Before I answer that, or try to answer that question, I, I want to make clear something else that's important, and that is what is the book of life? The, the book of life is a list of those people who have turned in faith to Jesus Christ. Now here's a question for you, and then we'll get back to what is the great white throne. How can you be sure your name is written in the book of life. We'll talk about the book of life again next week. How can you be sure your name is written in the book of life? How can you be sure you have a right standing with God? There's so much we could say about that, but let me make it simple. Not one of us in this room, not one person in the world has enough moral fiber to stand before a holy and perfect God. Not one of us. 
I mean, you may have gone to church all your life, and, and, and perhaps you were a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, or in your yearbook you were the most likely to succeed or the nicest person. It doesn't matter. The Bible says that all of us fall short of God's perfect standard, and none of us can find our way to God on our own. The Bible's pretty clear. We have sin in our lives, and that keeps us from approaching God. In fact, we go through life stiff-arming God, hardened toward God, rebelling against God. But God, out of his sheer grace, out of his amazing love for you and me, amazing grace, <laughs> he does what we could never think of. He's, he takes care of our sin problem. He takes care of the separation between us and God, and he comes himself in the person of Jesus and takes the judgment of our sins onto himself. He takes the penalty of our sins onto himself. He experiences hell for himself. So we would never have to. God has done his part through Jesus. He's done his part. Now we've got to do our part. What's our part? Our part to receive that gift is simply to confess our sin and say, I am in need of a Savior, and I want Jesus to be my, the leader of my life. And then we say, I will follow Christ. When we do that, when we confess our sin before God and say, I need a Savior, I want Jesus in my life, our names are recorded in the book of life. Because God has given us what we don't have in our own. We have now the righteousness of Christ. And that's what God sees one day when we are before him. Now, that's how we are sure we are recorded in the book of life. Now, uh, before I even talk about the great white throne, I want to say something. To those of you in the room who are sure your name is in the book of life and you are a Christ follower, there will still be a judgment for you and me. Our works, our good deeds really matter. And one day there will be this thing called the, the, the judgment seat of Christ uh, where, where Jesus will look at our lives and, and have we been faithful? How have we used our gifts and abilities given to us by God? What have we done with our time, talent, and treasures? And we will be judged accordingly and rewarded accordingly. Think of the Olympics. Gold, silver, bronze. If you're a Christ follower, you will be on the podium, but the honors will be given out differently. Now that's the judgment seat of Christ for believers. The great white throne is a time for those whose names are not in the book of life. And it is Jesus Christ who will be on the throne and before him will be the book of life and absent from the book of life will be those who have been hardened rebels toward God and Jesus, who have lived a life saying, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. This will be what's called the second resurrection. When those who have died, their bodies will be sent back from the, from the dead and, the, and from the Hades or the grave, their souls will be resurrected and they will stand before Christ at the great white throne of judgment. This is what Scripture teaches. But because they've depended on their own righteousness and do not have the righteousness of Christ, Jesus will judge them. It was Soren Kierkegaard who said, who said, you know, it'll be like the old masquerade parties. At midnight, everyone will take off their masks and each person will be judged as they have lived their life apart from God. And justice, justice, God's justice will be perfect. It will be flawless. 
and it will be complete. Which leads us to how this chapter ends. Then death and the grave themselves, death itself is thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire, which is hell. Wow. So, what are we to think of hell? I'm starting to sweat. Last night after the evening service, a young lady came up to me. She grew up in Michigan. In Michigan, I forgot this. I, I knew it was true, but I forgot that there's a little town there called Hell, Hell, Michigan, which if you're an Ohio State fan, it makes sense. But uh, she, she grew up near Hell, but she, lived, she went to church on the other side of the town, and on Sundays she'd get to church and she'd tell the, the pastor of the church, well, I, I went through Hell to get here this morning. Some of you went through hard times getting here this morning too. We like, we like to think of Jesus in terms of, you know, he's in the manger. And he's doing really good miracles. And he's sitting with his, his disciples fishing. But, but what we have a hard time thinking about is how Jesus freely talked about hell. And frankly, Jesus would never have gone to the cross if it were not for the reality of hell. And Jesus would never have experienced hell himself if it were not for the reality of hell. So we have to deal with hell in terms of how Jesus dealt with it. I like what Dorothy Sayer says, one cannot get rid of hell without tearing the New Testament to tatters. We cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. What do you do with hell? Uh, when we were putting this whole series together, I was originally in charge of putting the message together for heaven, which is next week. And, and, uh, and Pastor Todd was originally supposed to put the message together for today on hell, which means I gave Todd heaven and he gave me hell. It, it's funny sometimes how people talk about hell. Uh, but, but it's very difficult when you start thinking about how Jesus spoke of that place, of how the entire Bible speaks of that place. You think, well, this is, this is, serious, this is serious stuff. Uh, there's a variety of metaphors and images used to describe hell. Here are just some of them. It's a fiery furnace, an unquenchable thirst, a place where the worm does not die, weeping and gnashing of teeth, place of no rest, outer darkness, lake of fire. How do you describe that which is indescribable. Over the last couple of weeks, as I've given some thought to this and, and read different things, I, I, I put some words together. They go like this. Like heaven, it is impossible to describe hell without imaginative language. Imagery and metaphors attempt to describe the indescribable or to access the inaccessible. We can't really explain how good heaven is or how bad hell is. Our words can only say so much. But said simply, hell is the absence of God and a lack of God's presence. That's, that's essentially what, it's, it's a lack of God. It's, it's, a, it's a real place. And there, it's not a place of like second chance or purgatory. It's not like somebody's going to get there and then have a repentant heart and say, I blew it. No, rather, whatever, whatever rebelliousness there is toward God there will match the rebelliousness toward God that is here. 
In a sense, hell is God's answer to the grand insurrection against the Creator. And, and those who go through life saying, no, thank you, God, no, thank you, God, no, thank you, God, will end up with no God. God will deal with things perfectly, completely, and justly. With all that said, let me just give you several challenges. The first one is simply, oh, let me, let me share this C.S. Lewis quote with you. I forgot about this. I, a lot of us love C.S. Lewis. I told you earlier I would quote him again. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, they will be done, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. All right. On that light subject, let me give you three challenges, all right? The first one is simply this, to be sure. Is your name written in the book of life? Are you sure you have a relationship with God that comes through Christ alone, in Christ alone? In this size of group, there might be some people here who are still unsure, seeking. What I'd like to do is just take a moment and pray. I'd like you to join me in prayer, just quietly, privately, pray along with me. Can I lead us in prayer right now? Let's bow our heads. And God, right now, I come before you um, on behalf of those who maybe are not sure, have never really surrendered their heart to you. And I pray right now uh, these words on behalf of my friends. God, I cannot find my way to heaven on my own. I do have sin in my life, and I need to be forgiven. I thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And now I invite him into my life to be my Savior, the Lord, the leader of my life. I surrender my life to you. Now help me to live for you and to walk your way all the days of my life. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now if that prayer reflected the attitude of your heart, I would say this, your name is written in the book of life. And just as true for all of us, we are called to go out and live our lives for Christ and to show evidence of our faith increasingly through the days and years, however much time God has given us. Now, the second thing I say, be, be sure, but be faithful. The, the other day I had a birthday and uh, our family gathered around, and one of the things we do at birthdays is always go around and say something we like about that person. It was really great. You always like to be encouraged, right? And, uh, but my wife, she added one thing to it. She said, share three, three joys in your life. And I thought that was easy. My upbringing, my wife, and my kids. But the other question was, share something hard and I thought about it, and it's amazing how it just came out just like that. I said, you know, I find it hard to be a Christian at times. I find it hard to be a follower of Jesus at times. It just is. And, and it's no surprise, Jesus himself said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that can be tough. 
And I would just say to all of us here, and myself included, a phrase that I learned years ago, but I, I try to live by it, and that is just live your life in light of eternity. <laughs> We're one little dot here on this long line of eternity, and this matters. How we live our lives matters. And one day I will see Jesus, and I want to be found faithful before him, and I want you to have the same. So whatever time, talent, treasures God has given you, do them in a, use them in a way that honors Christ. And, and the, the last thing is simply this, is to be clear. There are probably people in your circles of influence, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your teammates, your schoolmates, who, wherever, who do not know about the gift that we have through Jesus Christ, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of life. Share it with them. Be clear with your life. Let them see the light of Christ in you. But be clear with your words and tell them your story of how you believe so they can have the same. Let's pray together. And now, God, thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to be reminded um, that one day you are returning and you will make all things right. And one day there will be an answer to the question, how long, Lord? How long will you let evil persist? One day you will take care of all things. Between this day and that day, help us to live for you. Help us to live for Christ, to walk with Jesus, to be faithful. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.